Well, as they're leaving, we're going to be, hopefully in as brief a time as possible, thinking together, sharing together a little bit about Patriots Day and why we're here, why, why we honor you like this every year. Uh, can I just make a quick announcement to those of you who may be here in law enforcement and would like to possibly get a service hour for being in here? Uh, we have some in-service sign-up sheets back there, and if you just put your name and department on there, we turn this training into the, we actually made the sermon, how's this for a first, into a official uh, ILEA training outline, turn it in so you might get credit for coming to church. How's that work out? Kind of awesome, huh? Uh, what we want to talk about this morning is there is a battle going on for our nation. There's a battle for the hearts and minds of the people, for the, the laws, the enforcement of laws, the morality of our nation. It is under assault. From every area of first responders, we are seeing this and recognizing it. In law enforcement, there's been 83 line-of-duty deaths so far this year, and at least 30 of those. Now, we're used to that through the, the traffic accidents, and you know, every once in a while there'll be a shooting and, and something will happen, and yet things are just out of control. In those 83 deaths, 30 of them have been intentional execution of law enforcement whether by a vehicle where they've turned around and come gunning for them, or literally walking up to an officer, gunning them down. We have groups like Black Lives Matter, which I agree, Black Lives Matter, along with every other type of person on this planet, they matter. They're made in the image of God. We have a responsibility to protect them. And yet we have them marching in the streets of New York saying things like, what do we want? Dead cops. When do we want it? Now. If you remember that, a couple days later, two cops were sitting in their car just parked along the side of the street, and somebody made good on that promise. We have websites like Cop Block publishing articles like when it's okay to shoot a cop. When is it a good time for you to shoot someone in law enforcement? And the result is that police officers are being executed in the street, sitting in their cars, eating lunch, or even pumping gas. Firefighters and EMTs are not immune to this because we work so closely as a first responder family. There have been 59 line of duty deaths this year for firefighters. Most of you, especially if you're in the fire service, you saw the story from this Tuesday. We're not talking about forever ago. We're talking this Tuesday where a fire chief down in Texas was responding to one of the calls you guys have to respond to all the time. And because he was working too closely with law enforcement, the perpetrator went around the back of the house and came and stabbed the fire chief. There was another one just recently on uh, one of the collection things where they, they hold the boot on the side of the road and the guy went past and he turned around and intentionally went for the firefighter. Intentionally. We live in a dark time. And there is a danger, a very real danger, if you serve or your family serves in law enforcement or the fire service or as an EMT. So here's what we want to talk about this morning. Because of who you work for, you have a target on your back. It means you have to be very intentional about what you do, what you don't do, but you also have to recognize who you work for and how that applies to the rest of your life. More than ever, we need law enforcement, fire, EMT, public servants to stand together, to cover each other. Here's the second thing. If you're going to fight for our community, and that, that's why you're here, that's why you serve, if you're going to fight for our community, you have to, number one, fight for your marriage or other relationships if you're not married. And number two, you have to fight for your soul. So that's where we're going. That's what we're going to talk about. Hopefully that's, that's what we're going to cause you to think about and leave this place with a greater understanding of the danger that faces you and how you need to approach it. Because every time you respond to something, you are fighting for our community. When law enforcement responds to a call, you fight to uphold the law of this land, and that law is based on the law of God. Now, let me caution you against uh, believing that we live in a quote-unquote Christian nation. Uh, we live in a nation that is multicultural and multireligious. And that is exactly the way our founding fathers set it up. They, that you wouldn't come to this country with a different set of beliefs and be 
instantly persecuted for it. That's one of the great things of our Constitution. And yet the founders of that Constitution founded it based on Christian principles and Christian morality. So we don't live in a Christian nation, but we do live in a nation whose laws have been set up in accordance with what the Word of God says. That's why many of our laws are different from other places around the world. Just in case you think that may not be true, the first Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, John Jay, was appointed by George Washington. Here's how he described the laws and the Constitution that he worked to uphold. He said, The moral and natural law was given to us by the sovereign of the universe to all mankind, being rounded by infinite wisdom and goodness on essential right, which never varies. It can require no amendment or no alteration. The law operated as a schoolmaster, and he quotes the New Testament here, to bring us to Christ for mercy. So the founders of our nation look to the laws that you enforce today, if you're in law enforcement, and they said, we got these from someplace. We didn't just make this up as a nation and then roll the dice. We got these from God. If you're a first responder, if you're a fireman, every time you respond to a call, you are fighting against the destruction of life and property. Whether it's through fire or accident or illness, you get called on people's worst days. And you respond to fight on their behalf when they can't fight for themselves. If you're an EMT, Every time you rush a patient to the ER, you're fighting injury, you're fighting bleeding. And all of that is in the struggle as we fight against death. To say we can't fix everything, but to the best of our ability, we're going to step in and intervene. And as a community, on behalf of our church, on behalf of the, the people who live in LaGrange County, let me just say to you, we need you to fight for us. We need it. We cannot do Without it, And that's why it's important that you recognize the dangers that want to take you out of fighting. That want to get you out of the fight. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. We're going to read that text. Romans chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. One of the traditions that we have in our church, uh, we saw a good illustration of this morning. As... The honor guard brought the flags in, and we stood. We stand to honor the national anthem, and we turn and face the flag. And we stand not to say, I stand over this flag. I get to tell our nation what to do. I get to make my own laws. I'm a law unto myself. That's not what we do, is it? We stand and we say, this flag actually stands over me. And so I stand to honor it. And one of the traditions we have at this church is, as we read the Word of God together, that we stand. Not, not to say we stand over the Word of God, but just like we did with the flag, to say that this Word stands over me. So would you stand to your feet and join me as we read together Romans chapter 1. If you need a Bible, we have some on the back. If you don't have one, that's our gift to you. We want you to have it. Uh, if you want to follow along, you can. The words will also be up on the screen. Romans 1, uh, 13, verse 1. says, Let every person... Be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and whoever resists will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what's good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, then be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on wrongdoers. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, Revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask you again, speak to us. Enlighten our hearts, Lord, not, not with our good ideas or our best intentions. Lord, let our hearts be awakened by your word that is unchanging and does not need alteration. Lord, we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you.
as we briefly think through this passage, we must begin with the fact that God is sovereign. And sovereign just means one of the phrases we use around here a lot is he gets to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it, and he never has to ask anybody's permission. That God is sovereign. He's the ruler over all things. And he has established authority on the earth. He's also established responsibility. So God has given those of you who serve our community as a first responder, he has given you authority over the people in this community. He has also given you a responsibility for what you do with that. Okay, these two things go hand in hand. He's given you authority and he's given you a responsibility for what you do with that, both good and bad. Verse 1 says that there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by him. So let me, let me just recap real briefly, because we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here. I just want to paint a picture for you, in case you missed it, of what this scripture here says about you. Okay? So this is how it describes you, that you have, verse 1, authority from God, that you've been appointed by God to do that job, verse 2. Verse 3 and 4 say that being God's servant, you are there for good for those who do good. Verse 4, you're an avenger of God's wrath for wrongdoers. Can I just pause and say that's a pretty heavy responsibility? If you spent five minutes in law enforcement training, you know that the force continuum and how that gets used gets blown out of proportion in the news media all the time. If you're a fireman and you show up on a scene and somebody's house is on fire and you don't attack that right, that will blow up. And they'll say, what, what were they doing? Why did they wait so long to start CPR? Why did they wait so long to do this? It is a heavy responsibility to be this kind of protector for the community. That's why verse 6 says that you are ministers of God. That's a weird title, isn't it? It didn't say you're firefighters of God or you're policemen of God or you're EMTs of God. It said that you are ministers. It's actually the second time in this passage that you get referred to as servants. Minister is just a word that means servant. Right? So if you go to church and you have a minister at your church, that guy is actually declared, I am your servant. It's kind of humbling for a guy like me. That's how God describes you, that you are a servant of God when you do your job. In fact, that word servant, if you go to church, this may sound familiar because it's actually the Greek word we have for deacon. Same word you hear in your church, the people who serve our church and take care of some of the household needs inside of our church. That's how the word of God describes you, that you are a deacon to our community when you serve God in this respect. So verse 7 says, you are deserving of respect and honor. I know there, there's a kind of a strong current in this community that says, oh, don't, don't say anything. I just want to be humble. The word of God actually commands us to do this, that we are commanded to give respect and honor where it is due. That's why this service is a joy for us. It's a lot of work, and it's a huge joy because we get to be faithful to the work of God. But working for God has a price attached to it. Working for the state has a price attached to it. It makes you a target. If you're serving our community as a first responder, you all get lumped together, right? Firefighters, EMTs, police officers, you're all wearing a uniform, you're all on the scene, and we have found out in the news in recent days, the people who want to destroy that don't care which service you're in. I want to say it actually goes a step higher than that. See, there's people who don't like our government. They don't like our laws. They want to be a law under themselves. That's what the word autonomous means. And so anybody who represents this greater picture of law and order is a target. But I want to say if you work for God, you have a bigger target on your back. Because most of our society is not only against, they are hateful towards the things of God. They are hateful towards his laws and his instructions. Have you ever wondered why people act in such irrational ways towards you who are trying to help them? Like you're literally on the street trying to help and save people's lives, and people are angry at you for trying to help them. 
It's one of the reasons I appreciate our, our local fire departments. They're all volunteers. Uh, most of the guys who serve in our local police departments, uh, we have a handful of full-time guys, and the rest of them are volunteers. You are volunteering your time to do a job where people are going to hate you for doing it. I'm telling you, that will burn you out and you will say, I'm done defending our community unless you know I don't actually just work for them. I'm actually serving God as a part of doing this. That's one of the dangers is you lose sight of who you work for. Now, if you ask people on the street, they'll tell you, right? Because they're like, I pay your salary. It gets thrown out all the time. Well, you know, say thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, But in your heart, recognize that you are serving God by serving our community. That this is something God has called and equipped you to do. It's weird when you you think about the amount of hate that gets thrown, especially at police officers. The only other group you're allowed to hate that much nowadays is Christians. Like anybody who stands for right and morality and says this is true and this is not true, man, we can hate them. And so all of a sudden police officers and Christians end up in the same camp. This, it seems like irrational hate, but I want to challenge you and say it's not irrational at all because you work for God. The laws of our nation are based on the laws of God. And so every time you enforce that, people push back because we don't like God telling us what to do. Because you serve him, they don't like you telling them what to do. Now let me just, let me echo something that, man, I appreciated uh, the message in that video, where there has been wrong, where there is wrong, where there's injustice, where there's prejudice, admit it. Repent of it. Repent is just sort of a churchy word that means turn around. Stop doing what you're doing, turn around, go the other direction, and fix it. For some things, it means we got to come clean about the way things have been. And this is not just us. This is, this is sort of first responders in our nation. I, I want to tell you, I feel privileged to serve in this community and serve uh, the members of the department in this community because I, I hear stories from other places, and I can't even imagine them happening here. I, I know you guys are human. I, I know uh, you're born sinners just like the rest of us, right? Uh, we can make mistakes, and yet some of the stakes, mistakes that get made other places, I can't even imagine happening here. But when we do make mistakes... You own it. Some things you fix it. Some things you can't fix. You can't go back in time and maybe fix racism that started 40, 50, 60 years ago. Here's what you can say. Never again. We made this mistake before. We're admitting it, and we're saying never again. Here's just a little parenthesis in there. Uh, When we try and cover up, It doesn't work. Cover-ups only breed distrust. Bring it out in the open. Be honest. Let's deal with it. Here's what 2 Chronicles chapter 19, verse 6 says. God says to the judges, consider what you do. By the way, all of you who show up in a moment and have to make a split-second decision on the scene, what are we going to do? Who's the criminal? Who's going to jail? Who needs CPR? Who's the victim? Who's the aggressor? You're making split-second judgments. He says, consider what you do. For you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be careful with what you do. For there is no injustice with the Lord our God, no partiality, and no taking bribes. It means we don't serve these people better because we like them more, and we don't serve these people worse because we like them less. There is no partiality, and we serve the Lord, not just the people who are in front of us. I love the stories of things that have turned around. There was one that was mentioned. I hadn't heard those stories. There was one down in Texas where a 16-year-old boy comes up behind a female officer just after... uh, about a week ago when the officer was shot pumping gas, and he, he approaches behind her. And by the way, you can probably only get away with this if you're a 16-year-old boy, like creeping up behind an officer. Uh, and probably in some squeaky voice says, ma'am, ma'am, can I watch your back while you pump gas? I love that we have a surge in our nation that is saying, if nobody else is going to stand and protect those who serve us, I'll do it. 
Even a 16-year-old unarmed kid who's willing to stand there and shout out the danger even though he has no way to respond to it. I'll watch your back. We need communities who rise up and do that for all of our first responders because you're all at risk. You're at risk from outside attack. You're at risk from dangers inherent to your job. We need to do that, those of us who serve as part of that community, to be watching each other's back. Part of that fight that has to go on, if you're going to continue to serve, Because most of us know the stories of those who used to be a police officer or used to be a fireman or used to be on the EMTs. And for most of them, other stuff in life happens and we look at it and we go, well, they've moved on. Different different things have come and gone. That's why they're not here anymore. Let Let me tell you one of the unsettling realities is this job will shake you and there will come a time where you say, forget it, I'm done, I'm not doing this one more day. If you're going to keep fighting for our community, here's the first one. You have to fight for your relationships. You have to fight for your marriage. Let me tell you the number one mistake first responders make. Number one, it it takes a certain type of person, male or female, to do a job like this, and here it is. Yeah, my job's stressful, but I can handle it myself. I don't need need anybody else's help. I I don't need to talk to somebody. I I don't need to go talk to another person on the department. I I don't need to seek out help or advice when I feel like things are getting out of control in my life. I got it. Let me just say stress and conflict are normal to your jobs. Stress and conflict, whether it's uh, fighting a fire, whether it's stepping into a, a situation where you have to enforce the law and nobody wants that to happen, that's natural. But that stress and that conflict goes somewhere. When you go to a scene and you're responding and you're seeing broken bodies and broken lives, which represent broken dreams and broken families and broken futures, that weight goes somewhere. And here's usually what we do. We say, I got it. I can carry this. And we do. We carry it straight home. And you bring that stress, you bring that heartache, you bring that disillusionment with the way that the world should be versus the way the world is, into your relationships. The first responders, listen to me. Stress in a first responder relationship is normal. It's normal in any relationship, especially in a first responder one. Especially in your marriage. Listen to me to this, though. The way you handle that may not be healthy at all. It may be perfectly normal to have it, but the way you address it, the way you deal with it inside of your house may actually be very unhealthy, and if you want to be happy at home, it's going to take a lot of hard work. Because 70 to 75% of first responder marriages end in divorce. Let me just say something to the the members of our church here. Every year we get together and, and we say thank you to these men and women who serve, and we clap for them and we give them a gift card, to steak and shake so you can take your family. Uh, that's That's nice. I think what they need even more is for people, men and women, to be praying for them, saying, God, would you not only keep them safe on the job, would you guard their marriages? Would you guard their hearts? Would you guard them from the hardening that comes with this job? If you're going to survive in a first responder marriage, you have to identify some of the danger, some of the warning signs that things are not going well. Because relational problems don't arise overnight. This isn't something that started yesterday. These aren't things that just started this week. Some of the warning signs, and you see them up on the screen here. Some of you, as you see them on the screen, you actually may see them in your house. You actually may see them in your heart. Where you have a loss of communication. There's certain things you don't share, and there's certain things you don't want to share, and there's certain things that you hope you never talk about in your house. Maybe you're feeling misunderstood and misrepresented. Can I, can I just be real honest and tell you the number one thing that I hear over and over? It doesn't matter if it's police or fire. Here's a secret before we get there. Uh, these are, are really uh, grown-up men who still have little boy hearts who love to serve our community, and there's an adrenaline rush to what you do. Now, as you get older, that adrenaline rush decreases when it's 2.30 in the morning and that pager goes off. 
right? Those of you who are 18 and just starting out, you're like, no, no, it doesn't. You're still jacked up on Mountain Dew because you drank it at 1030 at night. (laughs) Yet here's the number one thing I hear over and over and over. Go ahead, go out, play with your friends. Leave our family behind. You clearly care about them more than you care about us. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But let me just tell you, that's everybody. That's an issue as a first responder, if you are married, you have to deal with. Or you will not survive either as a first responder or in your marriage. You have to fight for it. You have to make a decision. Our marriage is worth fighting for and our community is worth fighting for. I better find a way to do both. Starts with feeling misunderstood, misrepresented. Assuming the worst about the other person and what they're thinking. These all kind of start bleeding together here. Emotional and physical withdrawal from the relationship till you end up with an active interest in somebody else. These are, these are the death rattles of a marriage. When you hear these, when you recognize these, you have to do something about it. Aaron Pratter, in a book called First Responder Marriage, an at-risk relationship says this, most men have a natural tendency towards challenge and most women have a natural tendency towards relationships. So when the guy is challenged to do his job, whether it's fight a fire or go catch a bad guy, there's, we have a draw towards that and your wife, just going on, this is how it usually works. I know we have some females who serve, but usually your wife is having this draw towards you and you're being drawn in a different direction. One of the reasons that's true is One of the things Winston Churchill said was there is nothing more exhilarating than being shot at without result. If you can get somebody to shoot at you and they don't hit you, I guarantee you are exhilarated. Now, he was talking from his military experience. I'm guessing if Winston Churchill had been a firefighter, he may have said there's really nothing more exhilarating than attacking a fire when you go through that front door and you're trying to knock down flames inside a house and it's hot and dark and smoky. And, like, there's, there's an adrenaline rush that comes with that. Guys, if you're not careful, you're going to be gravitating towards that adrenaline rush. You're going to be gravitating what we've taught you to do And you're going to leave behind the people who are helping you do it. If you do that long enough and you lose that support network, you will not be able to fight for our community anymore, which is why you have to fight for your marriage. John Trent says men have to be challenged to work on relationships. If they don't, all their women will see is a warrior picking up his sword and walking away towards the battle. We need you to fight for us. We want you to fight for us. Your wife does not want you to fight for the community and leave her behind. And all the wives said, it's true. There's a tension here. There's a battle here that you must fight if you are going to keep serving. Let me, let me read you a couple scriptures. Colossians chapter 3, verse 19. Here's a command. Guys, you ready? Husbands, love your wives. But I don't feel like it. But wait, wait, she was mean to me last night. Every time my page are off, she's ticked at me. Husbands, love your wives. Look at that next part. And do not be harsh with her. Guys, we train you for all sorts of stuff. We train you how to interact with the public, how to respond, how not to respond, how to respond to a fire, how to respond to a critical injury. And we don't train you for how to respond when you come home from that and your wife is ticked at you. And we haven't trained you to not be harsh with her. And so we've just left it as if there's no SOP for this. Do what you want to do. And you come home and you go, shut up. I was serving. Why don't you leave me alone? Let me do my job. What am I supposed to do? Remember I said this was going to be training this morning? Guys, these are real issues. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. So count this as part of the training. Guys, when you're leaving, when you're coming home, all points in between, here's your job. Love your wife. If you're a female, love your husband. 
Be gentle with her, don't be harsh with her, and treat her with respect. If you do that, the same way that you attempt to be professional and treat the public with respect, it will change your marriage. And if you don't do that, it will destroy your marriage and probably your career at some point. So dealing with these problems at the beginning can lead to a happier ending. Verbal conflict can actually inflict permanent harm. We, we think, well, as long as it didn't get physical, it's no big deal, right? Because you go to jail for the physical stuff. Guys, the verbal stuff is way more destructive. Bruises heal. Broken bones can be put back together. It's really hard to fix the human heart. Really hard. It means you have to recognize some of the destructive patterns. Are you ready for this? In your own behavior. What are the patterns in my behavior? And then together with your wife or if you're a female officer, with your husband, develop an SOP. Come up with a fight plan. Something that will enable you to survive these times just like every other interaction you have with the public. Let me give you just a few suggestions, all right? Remember that the whole point of this conflict that you're having is the growth of the relationship. I I want you to just imagine this. I I was thinking about this last night as I was sort of thinking about this and praying about it. This is training, right? Everything that happens in in your house is real-life training. Imagine if you did in your house the same thing, or the other way, imagine if you did in your department the same thing you do in your house, which is, uh, you know, we're going to have... We're going to have a a, a training. I've got a couple times to go along with the fire department when they intentionally set a house on fire because it's fun, right? Uh, All the training thing that goes with that. Imagine if we gave them zero instructions. Just go have fun. Just do whatever you want to. Uh, Imagine if we had a firearms training with zero instructions at all. People going like, is this thing loaded? We would... We would be negligent if we created training opportunities where more than likely you're going to be injured and there's at least a decent chance you're going to be dead. Would you agree? Don't go to those trainings. Those are terrible, terrible trainings. And yet we've done that for you in your houses because we haven't helped you do this. And we've said, it doesn't matter. We don't need an SOP. We don't need a guideline. I'm just going to speak from my heart. Awesome. Try that at a traffic stop sometime. See how it goes. Try try that when you're responding to a first responder call and somebody is dying of a drug overdose and you just speak your heart. Yeah, there's things in our hearts. Sometimes the best thing you can do is shut up and do the right thing. That's good preaching. All right. So here's here's just a sample, some of this stuff for, for your relationships. Remember that the goal is to bring growth, to bring you guys closer together. So don't do things that are going to hurt each other. Pick your venue. Where's the fight going to happen? Where's the the conflict going to happen? Let let me just suggest Walmart's a terrible place for this. Based on experience. Uh, Limit the spectators. If you're going to say things and you know that your emotions are going to be heated, you better limit who gets to watch this thing go down, including your children, especially including your in-laws or the men and women of your department. You've got to be careful if you're going to love your wife and treat her gently and with respect that you aren't ripping her apart every time you're with the guys. Are you listening to me? When you're talking to each other, no name-calling. Because that just helps a lot, doesn't it? You know, guys, when your wife looks at you and goes, you're an idiot. You're like, you know, I was thinking that. But it wasn't, it wasn't until you said it that it really sunk in. <laughs> Never helpful. doesn't work like that. Don't bring up past hurts. It doesn't mean we don't deal with things in the past, but things that are dealt with and you've worked past, don't bring them up like it's a weapon of opportunity every time you get a chance. No, here's a good one. No text fighting. You can't see somebody's face. You can't hear their tone of voice. You don't know what their body language is telling you. And you respond, Fine. Fine is one of the most dangerous words in the English language over a text message, right? Because it can be, oh, yeah, fine. Or it can be, fine. Or it can be, fine. You don't know which one that is. No text fighting. As soon as you feel like things are getting to that place, and they will pick up the phone. 
If you can't be with them, pick up the phone, at least hear their voice. Don't leave the scene. (laughs) This is good for law enforcement in general. Don't leave the scene of an accident. Don't leave the scene of a fight with your wife. Because if you're having a disagreement with your wife and you're like, forget it, I'm out of here, and you walk out the door, and you're going, because I needed time to cool off, only she's like, because he just said, screw it, I'm out of this marriage. What are you communicating? Don't leave the scene. That doesn't mean that you don't need a break sometimes, which is why the next one is allow some times for processing. Can I say something to the wives, families, girlfriends who are here? It's a bad idea. <laughs> bad idea to follow a bear into his cave. Just not, not awesome. In case you, you don't believe that, uh, let somebody, moms, pick on one of your kids and see when mama bear comes out, right? Bad idea. Uh, here's some bad news, guys. Your wife's probably smarter than you. <laughs> a couple are saying amen. A couple of guys are like, no. Uh, if she's not smarter than you, there's at least a chance she's a better arguer than you, and she can come up with crap faster than you can. Come on, am I telling the truth here? You'll be in an argument, and you're like, I'm going to say something, and she says it already, and you're like, dang it. I wish I'd have said that. You know, so then you're kind of left on the back end just trying to, okay, well, what can I say that's meaner than that? Ladies, when your guy is processing some of this stuff, sometimes you may need to say something and go, okay, I I realize that you're kind of shutting down right now. I'm going to give you about half an hour. Like, let's take half an hour. We've agreed on this. Nobody's leaving the house. Nobody's leaving the scene. But let's just spend some time, God forbid, praying about it, right? Let's cool down. Let's come back and talk about it after you've had a chance to think. Don't follow him into his man cave because odds are he's not going to say the nicest things from the man cave. You with me? Take a little time. Don't make it forever, though. Anything past an hour, he's a chicken and he's running away. You got, you got bulletproof vests on. You guys can take this stuff. Anyways, uh, don't accuse him. Use I feel statements. That's way better. Uh, don't forget to make up at the end. Because the the truth is that how you deal with the conflict is at least as important as what started it. Usually way, way, way more. Because if you're married, you fought over things like the trash and the dog. Right? We fight over the dumbest stuff in our marriages. So how you deal with it is actually the important thing rather than whatever started it. Uh, So let's look a bit after action stuff here. Uh, Follow up with verbal conflict the verbal conflict with physical affection. So if you've said harsh words, you better put your hands on her in a loving way. Right? Give her a hug. Pull her close. Let her know that that affection is still there. Uh, Find something you can do together, whether it's a hobby or an activity, something that just kind of blows some steam off. Restate your love and commitment for each other. Here's two ifs. If you're religious, pray together. If you're married, have sex as quick as possible. But he's like, this is the best Patriots Day service ever. <laughs> Did you know that if you, they've done studies on this, if you pray together with your wife every day, doesn't matter if it's short or long, if you pray with her out loud every day, you have a 98% chance of not getting divorced. 98%. Not bad for a group of y'all who are sitting here right now with a 75% chance of getting divorced. It's a decent proactive thing to do. The other thing is God has created us in the marriage relationship, male and female, and he's created us that that act of coming together as husband and wife in sexual union draws your heart towards the person more than anything else that you do except maybe prayer. So pick the two top things that will draw you together and re State your love for each other and your commitment to each other as soon as possible. If you don't do this, if you fail to address these needs up front, it can lead to a tragic end of the story in your house. Broken lives and broken families. So the last thing is you have to fight for your soul. You've got to recognize who you're working for, that, that you are working not just to enforce the laws of our nation, but that you are actually enforcing the laws of God. The second thing that you have to fight for your marriage if you're going to continue to fight for the community. And the third thing, you have to fight for your soul. Because this job, I don't have to tell you this, this job will harden you. 
It will. It has to. If you're going to do the job that is set before you, you have to learn to put away certain emotions in the moment and take care of business. There's all kinds of people driving by the 1050 on the side of the road, and they're doing everything they can to look and see, but when reality comes, they don't want to look and see what's really inside there. For some of you, you have to take those emotions and shut them off and put them away and get the job done because you have a job to do. Can I say here's the danger? This is why you have to fight for your soul. Once you find the off button, it's really hard to find the on button again. It's really hard to turn those things back on, not just with regards to the public, but with regards to your family. If you don't think that's true, I want you to think back if you can. I know some of you have been serving for a long time. Remember the first 10-0 you got called to. First time, it came over the radio, whatever the, the incident was, possible 10-0. And you're just, you're just a rookie. You're just starting off, and there's something, there's an adrenaline that kicks in in your heart when you know there's a chance I'm going to someplace where someone has just died. And I don't know what that experience was like for you, but I'm guessing a lot of you actually remember that, and if not, you remember what the feeling was like back then. And let me ask, for those of you who served for a while, what's it like now? See, in between, you've seen a lot of broken lives and broken bodies, stuff our public doesn't want to look at. If you're going to do the job, it has to harden you, but you better be aware of what it is doing, or you will not just become hardened, you'll become hard. A lot of times, law enforcement are called to things where you have to deal with something. And at one point, you start off saying, how could anybody do this? So you just shake your head. How could anybody do this? And now you're like, of course they do it. They're a dirtbag. Of course they do it. It's a piece of crap, just like the last guy. And every traffic stop starts to look more and more like the last idiot who's out there putting the whole community at risk. God forbid they get in an accident. Well, pfft, they got what they deserved. People start to look alike. People start to fit into categories rather than being people. I want to say that's hardening. You have to guard that in your heart. You have to be able to turn it off and do your job, but you also have to be able to look at people in the eye and see this is a person made in the image of God. They deserve my respect, not for me to come in and treat them like a piece of crap. Where we've done that in the past, and I don't care what service you're in, where we've done that in the past, we have to admit it, and say, let's not do that anymore. Let's treat people the way we would want to be treated. So as we wrap it up, remember who you work for. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your soul. Don't let your soul get so hardened and jaded by this job that you're no fun to have come home anymore to your family. Don't let it so jade you that you can't look at people the same way anymore. And I wish, I wish I could tell you not only thank you for serving, but because of what you do, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be fine. I got bad news for you. Sometimes it's just not all right. Sometimes you're going to go home from a call, and if you're a Christian, you're going to ask yourself, how on earth could God have let that happen? Especially when there's kids involved. And if you're not a Christian, the temptation is going to be to say, there must not be a God because this thing happened. And I want to say there is a God who very much loves you, who very much loves the people of this community. And for some reason, he doesn't give us all the answers every time. We live in a sinful, fallen world, which means if you look back in Genesis, it means people sin, they make mistakes, they do things they're not supposed to do, and you guys usually get to clean up the mess. Hey, can I give you some good news? Because a lot of people look at the Bible and they're like, well, you know, this is just an idealistic book. It's not realistic. It's just idealistic. There are 1,189 chapters in your Bible. 1,189 chapters filled with this idealistic, here's what God is, here's what people should look like. We get all the way to chapter 3. Three of 1,189 before people screw everything up and start choosing their own way rather than the law of God. 
We say to God's moral law and his natural law, we do not want you, don't tell us what to do. Folks, you still see that today. Every time you get called to something, it's usually because somebody has made a choice just like they did in chapter 3 at the book of Genesis. God, we don't want your law. Real quickly, I got a couple scriptures and we're going to be done here. Nahum, Old Testament prophet, chapter 1, verse 3 says, The Lord is slow to anger. I, I don't know what your experience has been. I don't know what your experience with people has been. And I don't know what your experience with God has been. But your experience with God may have been so bad that you, when you hear somebody say you work for God in this job, you go, I don't like that God. I don't want to work for him. Let me just tell you, our perspective may have missed it. Here's what it says. The Lord, our God, is slow to anger and great in power. If you've ever tried to punish someone, especially in law enforcement, you, you go to great lengths to catch them, build a case, take it before a jury, take it before the judge, put them in jail, and you feel like they just don't get it. Look at the last part of this verse, this verse. The Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. James 4.12 says, There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. That God is the only one who can save. For those of you who've been on scene and you've done the best that you can to save a life and you've worked and worked and worked, you did everything right and it still didn't work. God is ultimately the only one who can save. For those of you who've wanted to enforce the law and catch the bad guys and stop the stupidity and it just doesn't seem to work and you look at our nation and you about go, I'm done. This is stupid. Why am I risking my life for people who don't care? Let me remind you, God is the only one who ultimately can get the job done when it comes to judging and punishing the wrongdoers. We've seen that in our headlines as we've had a couple guys in this past year get sentenced for heinous crimes. One was sentenced to 1,000 years in jail, and one was sentenced to over 3,000 years in jail. You know what the judges said? You know what the public said? We can't just kill you enough in one lifetime to make it better. We can't punish you enough in one. It's as if people were actually trying to sentence them to hell. I just want to tell you, God can get the job done. But he can also save. He can save you who repent. He can save even the bad guys who turn to him. But this is God's work. God saw desperate humanity. He saw people like you and me who weren't able to save ourselves, weren't able to deliver ourselves, and so he sent his son. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says that while we were still weak, while you were still stranded on the side of the road, you were the victim of the 1050. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, he didn't wait till he, you got your act cleaned up. Some of you who maybe you don't go to church a lot, you've said this, man, if I went there, you know, the roof would fall in. Got to be careful. Or, uh, you know, I'll go once I get myself cleaned up a little bit. I'll just fix myself. I don't want to go now. Romans says that while you were still a sinner, actively against God, Christ died for us. Our rebellion is actually against God. Like every time we choose our own way, it's actually against him. Titus 3 verse 5 says he saves us not because of the righteous things, the good things, the things that we think earn our way to heaven, that we had done, but because of his mercy, full stop. That, that's the end of the story. It's God's mercy that saves us, not the best efforts, not the best training, not your best job performance. It's his mercy. And even then, you have to fight for your soul. Even if you have trusted in God to save you, you have to fight for your soul and your marriage to keep from getting hardened by this job God has called you to do. So remember, it's God who saves. Now, we can help. We can do the best that we can. We can train. We can be prepared. We can intervene. But in the end, it is God alone who saves. Remember that it is God alone who punishes the wrongdoer. And one day, every wrong that we feel has been missed will be made right. Worship team, if you guys would come on up.
So as we wrap this up, if you're going to keep doing this job, if you're going to keep being a productive member of whatever department that you serve, we need you to fight for your soul. Now, I, I would love if I could tell you, fight for your soul meant become a Christian, entrust yourself to God, and you would all do that. I, I know that's not going to happen. I will tell you, for those of you who maybe are here this morning, we thank you for being here. Uh, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. Who Maybe you're not religious. Maybe you don't even believe in God. I can tell you, you better fight for your soul to keep from becoming a hard person. Because that will poison you in the job that you do. It'll lead you into unethical behavior. We need you to fight for your families, for your marriages, for your relationships. Because those are the relationships that are fighting for you and keeping you on the streets to serve us. We need you. We have to have you. Our society cannot exist. Listen to me. Our society cannot exist without you. If you're not there to enforce good and evil, right and wrong, law and lawlessness, if you're not there to fight things like fire and destruction and accident and death, we cannot survive as a society. We need you. So our charge to you, our challenge to you this morning, fight for those things and entrust yourselves into the hand of an almighty God who through the power of his gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ has died on our behalf is already fighting for you, even if you don't know it. And if you do know it, maybe this morning is a great time to remind yourself why it is you do this job, who it is you serve when you do this job. Would you stand together with me? We're going to close in singing a song of response. Just inviting you again to entrust yourselves into the hand of a loving God.